Yippee ki yay, movie fans! Hop off your cayuse and join us around the campfire as we explore the film frontier. We're going to talk about uh, westerns on this podcast, from the big Hollywood westerns to spaghetti westerns to cult films, modern films, maybe some silent films. And you're listening to me, Felicity, and him, Clarence. I'm a screenwriter originally from Mississippi, and he's an artist originally from Texas. We're both Western fans, and combined we have more than 20 years of experience in TV and film in Hollywood. We're going to kick this first episode off with uh, a Western from 1957. Um, Big hit directed by John Sturges, uh, starring Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas. Gunfight at the OK Corral. And the reason we chose this movie for the first episode is because... Uh, it was a big hit from sort of the peak era of Westerns, the 1950s, uh, the adult Hollywood Western, so-called. Uh, this was a big box office hit with big stars um, and a director who worked in the genre quite a bit. And it explores a story from history, a different take on it, as we'll talk about, that continues to be a, an area explored in other Westerns. It's the gunfight at the OK Corral, as the title kind of obviously states yes it tells the life of Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday the film sort of plays fast and loose I think with the the facts um which is really beside the point but um would I be correct in saying Clarence that it kind of popularized the that story and that legend for popular culture with this movie yes it it did definitely there was a book by Stuart N. Lake uh called Wyatt Earp Frontier Marshall I believe that's the correct title there were two films prior to this based on that novel, and that novel is credited for popularizing the myth of the gunfight at OK Corral. Um, it was conduct- the, the author conducted interviews with Wyatt Earp himself, who kind of spun the story to make himself seem like the hero. Frontier Marshal in 1939, I think, with Randolph Scott, and then, of course, John Ford's My Darling Clementine is also based on that book. Um, I think both are also very inaccurate, My Darling Clementine in particular, although... Uh, I'd say that's my favorite of the Wyatt Earp Westerns. Um, This one also gets a lot of the facts wrong. Um, It ends with the gunfight. Spoiler. Yeah, (laughs) as most movies do. Mm -hmm. But, of course, that was just the beginning of the violence between the Earps and the Clanton cowboy faction. Some of the later films, like uh, Tombstone and Costner's Wyatt Earp, cover the aftermath. And Sturges himself made a sort of sequel in 67... Um, called Hour of the Gun, that opens with the gunfight at the Corral and presents a little more realistic version of the incident. And then the rest of the movie follows what happened afterward and uh, what's kind of been known as Wyatt Earp's Vengeance Ride from that point on. And we might get into some of those movies, so stay tuned for for future episodes. Before we get into more talk of the movie, I did want to make it kind of clear that our purpose of the podcast, uh, or our original idea, came about because... Although we're both lovers of the Western and the genre, Clarence is the expert. He's seen practically all of them. And I'm a little more new to to the movies. I've right. seen some of them, but not all of them. And this is one, actually, that it was a first-time watch for me. Right. So part of, part of us talking about these movies is to give a lot of the backstory of it, give the history of it, but also introduce it to maybe new audiences who haven't seen it. Right. I've seen this movie a few times over the years. I probably saw it the first time when I was like 13 or 14 or something Such like that. Such a show off. Yeah. <laughs> what did you uh, think of the film? I thought I, it was pretty good. I liked it. It's, yeah. you know, not my favorite. I don't know how you feel about it, actually. I like it. It's not my favorite. Um, 
maybe I've seen it too many times, or it's just it doesn't have the uh, the pop it used to have for me. Um, That's fair. It has a interesting cast, though. You get some Western uh, stalwarts like Lee Van Cleef and Jack Elam, uh, Olive Carey, mother of Harry Carey Jr., and of course married to Harry Carey Sr. Um, you have uh, Earl Holloman, uh, John Ireland is Johnny Ringo. Um, you pointed out that a bartender is Kurt Russell's dad, that's Bing right. Russell. Bing Russell, yes. And it all kind of comes back around both in that Kurt Russell is in Tombstone as Wyatt as Earp. Wyatt Earp, as Wyatt Earp. Mm. And his son is named Wyatt. Right, right. So, so. he clearly likes this story quite a bit um, and has a lot of history with it. You mentioned that this is directed by John Sturgis. Right. Who mm. I think about kind of as a man's man director. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's he does a lot of male cast, a lot of ensemble. Right. He did. Uh, well, I think like two years before this, he did Bad Day at Black Rock with Spencer Tracy, which I think is the movie that really jump started his career to the A list. Uh, Sturges, that is not Spencer Tracy. Before that, he had done I think a lot of noir and maybe some B movies. But then he did The Magnificent Seven, of course, is probably his most famous western, um, The Great Escape. Uh, lots of big 60s movies, um, a number of westerns, Last Train from Gun Hill, Backlash, uh, The Law and Jake Wade, Sergeants 3, I believe, with uh, the Rat Pack. And he did a late, late in his career, he did uh, a movie with Clint Eastwood called Joe Kidd, which I think is not that great, but still. Which I, I will say, like some of those movies, Magnificent Seven, Great mm-hmm. Escape, I love. And yes, they're, yes. they're full on guy movies, like almost entirely guy casts. And and they're some of my favorites, yeah. despite not having strong female characters. <laughs> right, right. And I, I think we should talk about the place of the woman in this movie. And because, because I would say that a lot of the themes it revolves around um, are the relationship between men, mm-hmm. between friends, and between brothers. Yes. As both sides, both the, the so-called good guys and the so-called bad guys are kind of right. fueled by that. Do you want to describe the plot... Um, In that aspect? Sure. Um, The plot is Earp is a U.S. Marshal from uh, Dodge City. He uh, is on the trail of Ike Planton at the beginning of the movie. And a longtime friend of his betrays him. He meets Doc Holliday while he's trying to track down Ike Planton in Fort Griffin, Texas. They do not get along at first, but each does the other a favor uh, and they become kind of begrudging friends. Earp shows up, or rather Doc Holliday shows up in Dodge City... They continue their friendship. Wyatt Earp uh, begins a, a romance with a lady gambler played by Rhonda Fleming, and they seem they, their their relationship progresses forward until they're they're going to get married. Until Earp gets word from his brothers, who are already in Tombstone, that they need help. There's trouble, so he drops everything for that. So he breaks off the his his uh, fiance play, played by Rhonda Fleming uh, is not willing to keep following him around from town to town as a, as he continues to be a lawman because she doesn't want to just wait for him nights until he gets killed. Um, so they basically split up. He goes to Tombstone and Doc Holliday goes with him uh, because he's become a loyal friend. And when they get to Tombstone, it's sort of a, the Earp brothers against the Clanton brothers with the, with the McClowry brothers and Johnny Ringo, who uh, had a rivalry with Doc Holliday over his woman, uh, Kate, Fisher, I think, in the movie, played by Joe Van Fleet. And then it's a brother versus brother thing. Um, Was there anything else I should add about that? Maybe the relationship of young Dennis Hopper, who's also in the movie. Uh, Young Dennis Hopper plays Billy Clanton, the youngest of the Clanton brothers. And Earp tries to kind of set him straight, set him on the right path. And it seems like he's going to not become a gunfighter and, and go the right way until 
trouble erupts between the family. He, he decides to stick with his brothers no matter what. Right. And, and you see the same kind of brotherhood connection with Wyatt. As yes. He, he is the one, or he is called back to Tombstone by his brothers who are in need of his help. Right. And he can't let them down. Yeah. <clears throat> and so it's a lot of, you see a lot of themes of loyalty and betrayal and what that means between men and between brothers. Right. Right. And I think that's kind of shown by the relationship of the women. And, that kind of gets to my point of it may be a story about men, but it's because of these strong women in their lives that they have to make these important decisions. Right. Which I think you can see through the young Dennis Hopper. His mother is is very yes. strong-willed, and she wants him to give up this life of outlawry right. and, and just go on the straight and narrow. And, and he is kind of convinced by both his mother and Wyatt at right. first. Yeah, they give him a little talking to after a night of drunkenness. And uh, and he realizes, oh, maybe I should change my ways because my mom doesn't want me to die. Basically. Right, right. I don't know what I'm going to do with that boy. The way he's going now, he's going to end up like his father. Shot down for stealing cattle. You think you're pretty tough, don't you, son? I never saw a gunslinger yet so tough he lived to celebrate his 35th birthday. I learned one rule about gunslingers. There's always a man faster under the draw than you are. And the more you use a gun, the sooner you're going to run into that man. You think I don't know what's inside of you? I had a couple of big brothers. They fought in the Civil War, and I was too young to go. I tried to live up to them the same way that you're trying to live up to Ike and Finn. You know about that, huh? You can bet I know about that. It's not that I want to be a gunfighter exactly, it's just... I don't know, sometimes I get lonely. All gunfighters are lonely. They live in fear. They die without a dime or a woman or a friend. You know, I never thought about it like that. Well, think about it. Think about it. Billy, listen to the marshal. And so you see him ignoring the woman's advice. Meanwhile, Wyatt's big life decision is making the decision to leave his woman, his yes. fiance, yes. Laura. Yeah, Laura, her, Laura her Denville, name. I think. Was her, yeah. To, to leave her in the other town so that he yeah. can help mm. his brothers and get into this gunfight, yeah. basically. <laughs> I think another interesting aspect of this movie for me was it sort of played out like three different parts, possibly even a beginning, middle, and end, a three acts, something uh -huh. like that, but through the three locations. It's yeah. I would say it's a unique movie in that it starts out in... Texas, in, yeah, in Fort Griffin, in Texas. Fort Griffin, Texas, yeah. moves to Dodge City, Kansas, Kansas yeah. then mm. to Tombstone, Arizona. Right. And it's, to me, it was these three very distinct, distinct parts that kind of show the movie as a whole. And I actually pointed out while we were watching the movie that each town has a saloon set. And it oh, seems right. like the set is actually the same, <laughs> just redressed. Like, they use the same stage and right. dressing and everything. The just, layouts of each yeah. saloon is exactly the same. You've got the bar just, on the left side. Right. You've got the tables on the right. They look like the same tables. But it's... When you think about it, it really covers a lot of geography in the film. Yes. That actually, you know, is a little rare, I feel like, in movies. Yeah. Beyond, like, your, yeah. your spy thrillers that are globetrotters right, across right. the world. But that, to me, sort of showed where the story was in each section sure. by the location. Right. And I think, uh, it's like, locations, I know that old Tucson Studios was used for Fort Griffin and then actual, the actual OK Corral. But I think parts of Dodge City and... Uh, 
a tombstone were shot on various back lots. I think Paramount. Paramount. If you want to move into talking about the acting, kind of going back to the young Dennis Hopper, I think it's interesting that even at this age, when we're seeing this kind of burgeoning actor, he's playing kind of scoundrels. Yes. (laughs) Rascals. (laughs) This was a a year after Rebel Without a Cause, um, which I guess he's also a rascal in that. I don't know whether he gets typecast or that's just the kind of role he goes out for. Right. He knows his <laughs> his own type. What did you think of uh, Bert and uh, Kirk as Doc and Wyatt? What struck me was that both were maybe a little toned down than what I'm used to. Hmm. Bert especially. I feel like Bert is normally, he's got his toothsome grin. Yes. He's kind of a, it's, yes. a scene chewer with, yeah. with that toothy grin. It's very much a real in Bert Lancaster. Yeah. And Kirk has the showier part because he's the one dying of tuberculosis and is the drunk and has the the volatile relationship with uh, Kate. Yeah, I really felt like Bert kind of let Kirk be the showier one. Sure. And it was a different side to Bert Lancaster than I was used to. I actually maybe liked him more because he wasn't quite so showy. Yeah, yeah. He was a more naturalistic actor in this one than I was used to. Yeah, he can definitely uh, bring it down a notch and and not... uh... Chew the scenery exactly. as much, yes. Um, why don't we listen to a clip uh, from the movie, a scene um, about halfway through, I think, um, when Wyatt and Doc are on the trail of uh, some guys who robbed a stagecoach or something, um, and they're camping out, and they have a little conversation, and it kind of just uh, kind of exemplifies the, the nature of their relationship and how they react to each other. And, and sort of also the nature of this maybe more more good guy versus this slightly less good guy and right. how they feel about each other. Right. And it's also just a great example of these two powerhouse actors being in a scene alone together and kind of how they can handle this great dialogue. Right, right. And the, sort of the contrast between their characters and how they're playing them. And, and, yeah. uh, so Kurt. let's have, have a listen. Yeah. Smart gambler, you sure play sucker odds. You're going to be dead inside of a year. What do you know about odds, preacher? This kind of cough doesn't go away. Why don't you get out of those stinking saloons? Pack up and go live in the mountains. Not me. You're just ornery enough to live to a ripe old age. No, I'm not going to let it drain me out slow. Sure. Play it hard and fast. Listen, Wyatt, the only thing I'm really scared of is dying in bed. I don't want to go little by little. Someday somebody's got to outshoot me and it'll be over with real quick. If... I didn't come along to hear you preach a sermon. You know, I've been wondering about that. Why did you come? Well, stick around long enough. Sooner or later, you've got to put your head in a noose. I'm going to bail you out. I've only got one debt in this world, and I don't like owing it to you. You don't owe me a thing. I've never needed anybody in my life, and I sure don't need Doc Holliday. You're pretty positive about that. As far as I'm concerned, you can get on your horse and keep riding. <laughs> no, thanks. I think I'll stay. You know why? You and I are pretty much alike, actually. Both of us live with a gun. The only difference is that badge. What's the matter, preacher? Don't you like being preached at? Shut up and go to sleep.
And I did mm-hmm. read that he was fulfilling a contract to the producer Halby Wallace right. when he took this role. And he had, before taking the role, he had read that William Holden had dropped out of the movie The Rainmaker, mm-hmm. which is actually one of my, my favorites, along mm-hmm. with Catherine Hepburn is in that. Burt Lancaster wanted that role, and so he made a deal with Halby Wallace that he'll do this movie if they would let him be the lead and produce The Rainmaker, Interesting. which they then did. And then it was the last time that he worked with Hal Wallace. <laughs> I guess he didn't care uh, to yeah. work with Hal. Uh, Bert and Kirk made seven films together. I wow. believe this was their second one. They also made Seven Days in May in the 60s, which is a John Frankenheimer movie. Tough Guys, I think it was their last movie uh, hmm. in the 80s, guest, uh, uh, co-starring Dana Carvey. Oh. Yeah. I was going to say that I thought this was the only Wyatt Earp movie where Wyatt Earp did not have a mustache, but I think... Oh, yes, yeah. I, I wanted to get into mustache yes. <laughs> talk. I'm really excited about this. Because the real lifer, of yeah. course, had a mustache. Um, but I, I don't think Randolph Scott had a mustache in Frontier Marshall okay. when he played her. But I think everybody else... Randolph Scott? Yeah. <laughs> I think we had possibly differing opinions on the wardrobe yes yeah let's talk about that i thought it was an impressive job by legendary costumer (laughs) edith head i thought everything felt very real another time i thought kirk had some really well-fitting suits yeah i'd say i thought kirk looked good okay his suits his hat were were good i thought most of the other actors uh were just sort of bland uh kind of generic hollywood 50s western look um the the string tie and yeah I will agree, I don't think it was distinctive. I don't think anything really stood out. Yeah. It's not like something people would go out and try to copy for Halloween. Yeah. Like, no one will know who, that you're going as Doc Holliday it, from this not, movie. Yeah, it's not Once Upon a Time in the West right. or something with dusters and, and everything. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I thought great dresses on the ladies. Oh, okay. Some nice, yeah. like, emerald greens. You can, <laughs> you'll see it when you watch the movie. But Theme song, do you want yes. to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a great, great theme song by sung by Frankie Lane, um, who also sang Rawhide and 310 to Yuma and a lot of other, I think a lot of other uh, Western themes of that era. This seems like it was, um, the song is sort of used throughout as a narration a little bit. And I think that's probably following the trend that High Noon started in 52 with that song played you know, uh, predominantly through the movie. Um, well, actually, on on that, yes, uh, I have a review from the time. Generally, I think it got good reviews at the time, um, but I have this one from a famous reviewer, Bosley Crowler of the New York Times, who praised the film as firmly directed and ruggedly acted, but lamented odd, embarrassing moments when Cupid lets fly the arrows and thought the inclusion of a ballad was too derivative of High Noon. Hmm. Okay, so there you go. A criticism from Bosley may be a highlight for us. Right. Bosley was never wrong. No. Uh, famously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I enjoyed this. I like I like the little moment when they're riding through Boot Hill, and it's Boot Hill, mighty cold, mighty cold, mighty still. Yeah. Boot Hill. So cold. So still. There they lay side by side. The killers that died in the gunfight at O.K. Corral. And I thought it was like a a slam-bang opening to it. It really got me in the spirit from the get-go. Of course, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the composer, Dmitry Tiomkin. Which leads us back to High Noon, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, Tiomkin also wrote the score to High Noon. So perhaps he was hired uh, for this movie to do a similar type score with the song uh, because that was such a big hit uh, with High Noon. And it was something I think I recognized, even though I had never seen the movie. Yeah, it's a famous uh, song. Okay, we get it. I should know it. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I will say that 
kind of getting back to the story of it. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was first noticing, maybe during the first half of the film, was it was more dialogue heavy than I expected. It was a yeah. lot of like interiors. Um, you get occasional shots of like the the street, but to me, it was almost starting to feel like a like detective story with Wyatt Earp. Kind of finding clues of like where yeah. Clanton has gone, you know, kind of interviewing uh, like the other, the sheriff, right. and trying to put it together in, in almost like a noir way when he has to protect Kirk. And, you know, you've got this uh, lady with um, Kirk's girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kate. <laughs> Kate. Yeah. Kate mm-hmm. uh, is is kind of the the saucy woman right. that's that's trying to decide where her loyalties lie yes, with, yeah. with the men, where, whether she belongs with Kirk who is kind of our protagonist right. or or Johnny Ringo or Johnny Ringo who's kind of our antagonist yes, in yes. this story who's Kirk's sort of nemesis through the movie. Yeah, it is there's a lot of interiors, a lot of hotel rooms, a lot of uh saloons. Um not a lot of yeah, not a lot of outdoor scenes. In fact, there was one scene that really kind of struck me when Earp is taking uh Dennis Hopper back to the ranch and there's a big wide shot of the desert and their farm and it's kind of a uh, really beautiful shot uh, in VistaVision. And you're like, oh, there aren't a lot of big landscape yeah. shots in this movie or anything. It's a very much an interior Western, Which, I think. Which, I mean, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Not what I think of for a Western and maybe not the best use of what you're saying of the VistaVision, of the beautiful color of the widescreen. True, true. Of the potential landscapes you can have in a Western. Like, when I when I think of a Western, I think of, like, Monument Valley right. and wide-sweeping, <laughs> you know, plains and, and that sort of thing. Sure. And this was a lot of just saloons and and like you said hotel rooms right. to the extent that there was one moment when Kirk Douglas is walking down the street he passes by a saloon they're playing the <laughs> and it felt almost like I was in Disneyland right. like Frontierland or whatever <laughs> what if an 80 year old is watching this and is like this is not how the old west was we never had swinging doors on the saloon they're, they're really taking this out of context yeah all those all the three major saloon sets none of them had swinging doors they all had That's true. doors yeah. that, that- you know, like a regular door, which I thought was... A, but maybe it was another indication that they were all just the same right. set. I mean, I say that it was a lot of dialogue, but I was impressed with the closing fight. Yeah, it was well staged. Uh, it was exciting yeah. gunfight. And I think the real gunfight lasted like 30 seconds. Right. Which would not be as impressive no. on the screen if it was just 30 <laughs> seconds. And Ike Clanton, uh, I believe in real life, was unarmed and fled the fight. Oh. And I think the participants in the movie are not all the actual ones. I think Johnny Ringo they have in the gunfight who was not there. Um, but he's got a great name, so yeah, you should so you include him. It is a great cowboy name. Yeah. Um, but he died by suicide uh, oh. later in life. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it is well staged. There's lots of running around and shotgun blasts and uh, one guy catches on fire and that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, it was good to see Lee Van Cleef in there, although he looks odd without his mustache. It's I true. Think. That, that's more... That threw you? Yeah. Yeah. I that's... wanted more mustache talk on that too. <laughs> The casting also, um, for Doc Holliday, uh, Sturges, I guess, had originally considered also Robert Mitchum and Richard Woodmark um, before finally settling on Kirk. I don't know. What do you think those, how do you think the movie would have played with either of those guys? Um, I think Richard Woodmark could have been as kind of scene stealing. Yeah. And also maybe leaning into the villainous side of Doc Holliday. Yeah. Woodmark's good at playing kind of surly characters and nastier characters. Yeah. He could have definitely pulled that off, I think. Yeah. Mitchum? Mitchum? Well, go ahead. No, go you. Well, I think Mitchum's too kind of laid back for that part. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. It is a, a maybe a higher energy part. Yeah, yeah. He's... Although there are, is that scene when he's uh, gambling with the 
the dealer in the saloon or whatever while there's a gunfight going on. True. And, and he just, like, keep playing. Ignore <laughs> this gunfire. And the, meanwhile, the dealer is all freaked out. Right. I love that scene. You can't this. wait to get out of there. Yeah, that's a great scene. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe he could have pulled pull it off. Yeah. Like, Sometimes, even though I know Mitchum has been in Western, sometimes I think of him as more of a city-fied person. Yeah, he seems like more of a noir-type yeah. uh, actor. Or That's not to say I don't like the Westerns that he has been in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would like Blood on the Moon and El Dorado. River of No Return. River of No Return, I, I like, sure. Yeah. yeah, both of those are, all three of those are really good. Another actor that we didn't mention that shows up is DeForest Kelly. Oh, sure, yeah. Who uh, is known as... Bones on Star Trek, Dr. McCoy from yeah. Star Trek. Fun fact about that, we get another retelling of the Wyatt Earp Doc Holliday story in an episode of Star Trek. That's right. The bullets are unreal. Without body. They are illusions only. Shadows without substance. They will not pass through your body. For they do not exist. They do not exist. So he's got two appearances in this, and on <laughs> on each side. In this film, he plays the brother of Wyatt Earp. Yes, he's, he's either Morgan or Virgil. I'm not, I forget I which he's one Morgan. he is. He's Morgan. He's Morgan. Okay. Um, and then in. In, the Star Trek episode, he plays... I think he plays Frank McClowry or Tom... One of the Tom McClowry, McClowry. Tom, Tom McClowry. McClowry. And, and, so he's on the opposite side. Yeah. He's with the clan. He's in the gang, yeah. yeah. And then also uh, the movie Warlock from 1959... Oh, right, yeah. ...is sort of a retelling of the Earp legend with all the names changed. And DeForest Kelly is in that playing a stand-in for Curly Bill Brocious, who was a real-life member of, of the Cowboys. So he's one of the bad guys in that again. He has a prominent part in that. There's all sorts of tie-ins. Yeah. You got the Bing Russell tie-in... <laughs> You got DeForest Kelly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all we have for uh, Gunfight at OK Corral. It's You should check it out. Definitely worthwhile. Definitely. Um, so we are riding off into the sunset on this episode, but we will be back with uh, another classic or perhaps not so classic uh, Western. And by the way, this is our first time podcasting. So thank you for bearing with us. It can only get better from here. Uh, so, so do be sure to keep tuning in. That's it for me, Felicity, Clarence, and the spirit of John Wayne. Adios. <laughs>